All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, thanks for being um, in worship this morning. Uh, I'd just like to introduce to you Adam LaRue. Um, Adam is a friend of mine. We've known each other for about 10 years. Uh, our kids do school together, and, uh, and it's just a dear brother in Christ and um, a faithful minister. And so I'm grateful to be able to hear Adam preach from uh, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn there while Adam comes up. Adam? Good morning, everyone. Uh, as uh, Gibson just said, my name is Adam LaRue, and uh, again, we, we know each other from the, the homeschool program that we're, we're a part of. Uh, I am here today with my wife, Krista, and we've got five kids ranging from uh, 14 down to uh, about six. Uh, four boys and, and one girl, so that's kind of the way I wanted it, so God was uh, a blessing to me there. Uh, we actually attend Penn Valley right down the road. We've been there for a long time. My wife grew up there. Uh, and, you know, after we met through, uh, through my old church, you know, we've, we've come back up here and have begun to do that. I'm a, I'm a teacher by trade. I teach seventh grade social studies uh, in the Central Buck School District down at Lenape Middle School. I've been there for, uh, I guess this will be my sixth or 16th or 17th year. So I'm kind of like, you know, when I think about retirement, because that's what teachers do early on in their career, I'm like at the height of it, like now ready to come down, you know, which sounds exciting, but then you're like, it's a long road before I get to the end there. But, uh, you know, my, my real heart and my real passion is, is ministry. Uh, I love being able to engage people with the word of God. And as I said, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher by, by trade. Uh, and so my greatest passion and joy is to just dive into God's word uh, and be able to, to present that. So, you know, the, the privilege to stand up here and present God's word from the, the pulpit uh, is truly an honor. So I thank you guys for allowing me to, to come up here and do it. Uh, and I know that you guys have been going through the book of Proverbs, and, and today we're going to be talking about wisdom. And so my hope is, you know, that as we go through this idea about wisdom, we have a better sense of exactly what godly wisdom is uh, and really how important that is to us as we walk the, the Christian faith. Now, as I mentioned, I've got five kids. Um, and one of the worst feelings that I've had as a parent uh, is when I've lost one of my kids. Um, I've actually lost one of my kids on three separate occasions, which I actually think is pretty good. Uh, how many of you have ever lost one of your kids? Showing, and not like on purpose, like I dropped them off on the side of the room and, and they found it. Okay. All right. So I, I'm not alone because some of you be like, oh my gosh, like awful parents. Some of you who get are like, oh, you know, you're, you're a tremendous parent. Um, so, so as I said, right, three separate times. So the first time I lost the kid was when I took Remington to Six Flags and we went to this big ball, enclosed ball area. You shoot Nerf guns and you go down these slides and he was young, and I took him up to the top, and he went down the slide, and I ran down, and he wasn't there. And so I was like, okay, ran back up. I'm like, he's not there. So, you know, then, then the heart starts to go. So I'm running back up and forth, running all over, like, where is this kid? Where is this kid? Cannot find him. And I'm like, this is crazy. So I go running outside, and I see an intended. I'm like, I lost my kid. And she's like, sir, nobody came out of here. And she was so calm. I, like, wanted to shake her and be like, I've lost my kid, right? Uh, and, and she's like, nobody came out. So I ran back in. I'm running all over, running all over. Well, all he had done is scooched himself a couple, like, feet into the tube of the slide that when I ran up, I couldn't see him. And finally, he came back out, and I was like, whoo. You know, and you have that moment, like, you, like, grab the kid in. This in uh, Dorney Park, 
Uh, we were playing in one of those water gym areas. It was like a giant submarine. And, you know, we're going through the tubes. We're going down the slide, and all of a sudden, he's not there. And I'm like, where is this kid? And I'm looking here. I'm looking there. And it's, it's really not that big. And I get there were a lot of people around, but there was only so many places he could hide. And I'm thinking, man, this, this kid's lost. So I tell my wife. She's looking. My parents are there. My parents are looking for my brother, my sister. So when I talk about being a good parent, like the fact that Weston eluded six adults, that's what I'm talking about. Like this kid's an escape artist. So all that happened was, is he went from this water area over to this one over here. So somehow he got himself over there. And then the last time was we lost uh, Lincoln. Lincoln's my fourth child. And we were over in Doylestown at Font Hill. If you've ever been over there, it's, a, it's an old historic building. It was built in 1912. And they were having this celebratory kind of like fairgrounds activity. So back in the olden days, rich people, when they felt bad for poor people, would put these like games on on their front lawn and were like, okay, now you can kind of be part of me. So this is what they had all these. And there were like thousands of people around. And again, same thing. We're just walking and all of a sudden Lincoln's not there. And so we're like, where is Lincoln? So I go running off. Uh, luckily, one of our neighbors happened to be right around us, and he was watching our kids. Uh, Krista's looking around. I go running over, and I find this ambulance tent. And I'm like, I lost my kid. And they're like, all right, what's he wearing? And I'm like, he's wearing an American flag shirt, which was the worst thing to say because it was 4th of July. <laughs> Every kid had an American flag shirt. And I was like... Uh, like at that point, I didn't know what else to say. And so they're helping me look. And I finally just find him wandering by himself. And I have to say, if I was going to lose any kid, Lincoln would probably be the best. Not that I don't love him. Um, but he's like our most confident kid. And he was just walking around. And I found him. I'm like, Lincoln. And he's like, and he's got this kind of like deep voice. He's like, where were you? I was looking for you. Like, <laughs> Like, he probably would have found somebody and been like, I can't find my parents. Can you just drive me home? Here's my address. Like, like just very, very confident like that, right? So, so those are the three times that I've lost my kids. And, and I joke about it now, but in that moment, and again, if you've lost a child, it's a terrifying experience, right? And, and so as I lost my kid, right, the emotions start going, and I start running around, and I'm looking high and low, and I'm calling his name. And it doesn't matter what people think of me in that moment, because the most precious thing is my child. And I just felt like I'm running, like shoving people out of the way to try to get my child back. Well, as we talk about wisdom today, you know, we often talk about chasing things like our hopes and our dreams and our goals. We talk about chasing after wealth or money or, or positions or jobs. Nobody ever says, I really want wisdom. And that's what I want us to consider is, do we view godly wisdom in that sense? And I don't think we often do because I don't think we truly understand the implications of how important godly wisdom is to us. Uh, and so again, that's what I want us to do is, Help us understand that. So the book of Proverbs, again, is written mostly by, the, by uh, King Solomon, uh, wisest man alive. The first nine chapters, what we find is that he uses the term my son 18 times in those first nine chapters. So the beginning of Proverbs is a father talking to his son. And that's really important to understand because it, complete, it creates a completely different sense and tone, that this is not like just some sort of truisms, like this is good for all people, but this is a passionate plea to say, you really, really 
need to understand what this is and what's going on. Okay? Uh, and this idea of wisdom, uh, you know, when Gibson had started this series, right, this idea that you know, it, it's right or skillful living, again, this is godly type of wisdom. So again, if you have your Bibles there in Proverbs chapter 2, uh, I'm going to begin to read through this. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, uh, and then talk through some things, and then we'll continue to progress through, through the chapter here. So he says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure... So, two things I want us to notice here in the beginning of this, right? Again, uh, he, he, we see the word my son. But notice the use of the verbs. There are eight verbs that he uses in this passage. And, and in Hebrew poetry, this is what we call parallelisms. The idea that one line is going to build off of the previous line in order to emphasize or make a point. So when you look at how these words are structured, right, you're accepting it and then storing it. You're turning your ear towards it and then applying what you have just heard. You call for it, and then we're crying aloud for it. And then the last one there, you look for it, and then I'm searching for it, right? So there's, a, there's an added emphasis on each of these verbs as he progresses through it. And again, he's trying to make this point. And what's he trying to say here? What he's trying to say is, you know, wisdom is an active intention of us. I don't just hope that when I go to sleep at night and I lay the Bible on my head that osmosis happens and all of God's wisdom just seeps into my brain. I have to actively go searching for it. Okay? So this is an active intention upon what I'm looking for. Right? You know what, again, I said earlier, when I lost my kids, I was actively intentionally searching for my children. Right? It was the most precious Thing to me. And he says there at the end, right? He says, search for it as if it is hidden treasure, right? You, you know, if I, if I had said to you, you know, that somewhere in this church after the service, you know, there is a million dollars hidden in a treasure chest, I'm sure as soon as that service is done, some of you would be up and out of your seats and tearing this church apart. You know, we often joke with my parents. My, my mom's not like a crazy conspirator or anything like that. Uh, she uses a bank. But one of the things she'll do is she hides money all over the house. She'll hide a $20 in this jar. She hides a, a $10 in this pot. And sometimes we're over and she's like, oh, look, I found money. Well, we've, we've often joked that, that when, when they pass away, my mom has said, check every pocket before you throw anything out. And really what we've just said to the kids is, listen, when Pappy and Ruru die, it's a giant treasure hunt. We're just going to let the kids loose in the house and say, go find whatever Ruru has hidden around, right? But that's the idea of wisdom. Is that how we should be go? That's how we should be going and seeking after it. Like it's this hidden treasure and it's the most important thing to us. Now, the second thing I want us to see with that though is it, it uses the word, if you, three times. If you, if you, if you. You. As I said, it's an active intention upon us to go seeking after it, right? If I don't go looking for wisdom, I don't find the treasure. If I don't go seeking God's wisdom, I don't reap the blessings. So when people stand there and complain that they can't figure out what God wants or God's not around, the question we should be starting with is, well, have you sought him? Have you sought his wisdom? Well, no, not really. Well, yeah, one time I prayed a long time ago, 
but God didn't answer. No, that's not the way it works. Again, I'm searching for hidden treasure. Okay? So if you want God's wisdom, you have to go look for it. I don't, I don't show up, uh, I don't not go to work, and then all of a sudden the school district writes me a paycheck, right? If I go to work, then I get a paycheck, right? That's how it works in this world. Okay, so now we can move on here to verse chapter 5. And here's the connection with the if. If you do this, and then it starts with the word then, right? So, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I'm going to go all the way through verse 11. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk as blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the ways of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair in every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. So if I go searching for wisdom... Then, there, then is the promise, then I get whatever God has promised. And, and notice here, what's the first thing that God starts with? He says, then you receive the understanding of the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the Lord. Okay, now in the first sermon, Gibson talked about that idea of fear, right? And just to kind of re-go re, re through some of that again, you know, fear is not this idea that like we should be terrified of God, Okay? That's not what it's communicating here. And as Gibson talked about it, he said, you know, it's this idea that when people don't fear God, we downgrade the Bible and upgrade the culture. We trust now versus trusting the timeless. And, and we reduce God to what our wishes are. And I thought that was a really good explanation of what happens when we don't fear God. And just to kind of give you a, a word uh, picture here, you know, when I think about this idea of fearing God, it's this trumpets blow, doo -doo 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 -doo, the carpet rolls out, and the king comes out in all of his majesty and his robes and, and all of this fine jewelry and this crown that sits upon his head. And people are just in all of the pageantry of who the king is. And people know, and in this moment, though, that they are subjects of the king. That that king has complete and total authority to do whatever it is that he desires. And that's the way it is with us and God. Right? I can look at God and I can marvel at the majesty of God, but I also recognize that God is an authority like no other. And God has the power in his hands to do whatever he wants, whatever he wants. But praise be to God that he is a benevolent king, is he not? And so that's the first thing we get. We get to understand what it means to fear the Lord, a way that is healthy. And the second thing he says, he says, then you get to find the knowledge of God. Right? And what do I find when I find the knowledge of God? Not only am I all of God, but I understand that, that God is gracious and he's forgiving, and he's kind, and he's just, and he's loving, and he's sovereign, and he's powerful, and he's faithful, and he, and he, and he adheres to his promises throughout all of history and all of time. And he's compassionate, and I can know him personally. Right? God is not aloof. He's not just something in the sky that I hope that when I pray that somehow he hears me. God is personally invested in who I am, and he cares deeply about me. Okay, so, so that's what it means when it says we get to know who God is. Now in verse 6, here's what it says. It then goes on and says, for the Lord gives wisdom. So not only am I searching for it, but it's the Lord is going to give me that wisdom that I'm searching for. 
And I want us to realize something here about wisdom. I don't find wisdom in a self-help book. I, I don't go to the self-help section. I don't go to the yoga section, the, the meditation section. Right? I don't go to these spiritual, worldly religion sections and, and hope that somewhere in there I find wisdom. Because you will not find it. See, wisdom is found in a relationship. Wisdom is found in our relationship with God in the personhood of Jesus Christ. And so if I'm not seeking Jesus, then I will never find true wisdom because that is where true wisdom actually comes from. And so the only thing that I'm going to get is some sort of cheap imitation or worldly knowledge that is never going to suffice and is never going to compare to the knowledge that I find in Jesus Christ. And what I'm going to be left with is the complete opposite of what God promises me. Okay? So if I seek wisdom, then I find him, and it's found again in the person of Jesus Christ, and then I reap the promises. And so what are those promises that I reap? Right? You kind of boil it down. He says, you're going to get success. You're going to get protection. You're going to know what's right and what's just and what's wrong. I'm going to set you on the right path. If you find my wisdom... I'm going to put you on the right path. And we know that in this world, there are so many different paths that you can walk every day. And God says, trust me, and I'll tell you exactly which one it is that you need to go on. But again, we don't think about wisdom that way, right? I don't wake up in the morning and go, man, Lord, if I could just get all the wisdom in the world, that would be the best thing. And so what happens then is we walk through this world and we walk through this life trying to navigate all of these different minefields on a daily basis, and we're just hoping that one of them doesn't explode on us. But what God is saying is, if you seek me, I will help you out through those. You know, it's kind of like, wouldn't it be great that as you went through your, your daily walk, that there was just kind of this nice little green arrow that like somebody comes up to you and it's like, Adam, I need you to do this. And you're like, do I do it? And the green arrow is like, yes, ding, ding, ding. And you're like, okay, I should do it, right? Or, or, or you're like, hey, you know, I'm trying to decide between these two jobs. God, what do I do? And God's like, here you go, green arrow, ding, ding, ding. Right, wouldn't that be wonderful if we have that? That would make life a whole lot easier, would it not? But again, if we're not seeking God's wisdom, we're never going to see that green arrow. You know, and think about how much better life would be if you were always going the way that God told you to go. Now, I'm not promising that nothing bad will ever happen to you, but I can promise you that if something does bad, right, God's going to walk you through that. But life is going to be so much easier and so much better for us if we follow God's wisdom. Right? You know, and it even says that because what does it say? It says that it says it's pleasant to the soul, right? Down there in the passage in verse 10. That when we have God's wisdom, it's pleasant. It means it's, it's satisfying to our soul. It's agreeable with our soul. It, it, it tastes good. It's delightful. It's all of those adjectives that when we have God's wisdom, our soul is so richly blessed from being in that. Right? All right, so here we go. Just to recap so far, we're working through the second part now in a moment here, that if we seek wisdom, we find God. And then when we find God, we find wisdom, right? And it becomes circular, that because now that I have knowledge, that knowledge comes from God, I'm going to go back to him, and guess what? He's going to give me more of it. And then I'm going to go back to him again, and he's going to give me more of it, right? So this is the pattern that we need to be in. We seek wisdom through Jesus Christ, and then he gives it to us. All right, so now we're going to move to the, the last part here, starting in verse 12. I'm going to go through 19, okay? There are two things that he's laying out to us. Remember, this is a father 
talking to his son. Okay? He says, Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the pervasiveness of evil, whose paths are crooked, whose ways are de- who are devious in their ways. It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant that she made before God, for her house leads to death and her paths lead to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Okay, so the first thing, God says, listen, you seek me, I will give you wisdom. I will give you all of these blessings and I will protect you. I will save you one from the wicked men. Okay, now, when we talk about these wicked men, what we're saying is these are people that have intentionally deviated from the path, right? That, that's what it says in there. It says, you know, who leave the straight path, right? Again, these are people who are like, I just like doing wrong and doing evil, okay? Uh, so, so they've deviated. They, they delight in doing wrong and doing evil, um, you know, and God says, I'm going to protect you from those people. You know, there's a reason why we use words like sociopath and psychopath and narcissist, because there are real people in this world that truly are just out to get you. People who are out for vengeance and your blood and your money and your family, and they will do anything to destroy you. And they lack remorse and they lack empathy and they could care less. And I get it. We are all sinners. Don't get me wrong. We are all sinners and we all make mistakes and we all hurt people. There's a whole nother level of hurt that exists. And I think that's what God is trying to help us understand is those people that are actively out to get you, I'm going to save you from them by putting you on the right path and guarding you from those people. You know, as a parent, just a kind of little quick side pit here, you know, as a parent, one of the most crucial things for me is to understand who are my kids hanging out with because their friends are going to have a lot of influence in their life. And as a parent, it's easy to go, don't hang out with that kid. I've been there. I know those kind of kids. You should hang out with that kid, but I don't like that kid. Yeah, but that kid's going to keep you safe. This kid's going to destroy you. And that's the same thing God's doing to us. As our father, he's saying, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on a different road. I'm going to put them away from you. Right? And then the second thing he says, I'm going to save you from the adulterous woman. You know, I'm not surprised that, again, this is in this passage, father to a son, you know, pornography is so prevalent in this world. What we have done to objectify women is just sad and it's disheartening. And it's not like it's been happening for the last 10 years. I mean, from the beginning of history, women have always been treated in a way to kind of help men, you know, be gratified in that type of nature. And so what God is saying to us, he says, listen, she has ignored her covenant before God. That covenant, remember that marriage covenant where she stood and said, I'm going to love you, right? Before God, I'm promising to be faithful. Well, she's walked away from that covenant. And now she's out to get you. And she's going she's to be that vixen. She's going to be that siren with that seductive voice. And she's trying to lure you in. And she wants to destroy you. And what happens in, especially for men, right, is that... We give into it and, and we fall into this trap that somehow we believe this lie that what she is saying to us is somehow better than what God has to offer. 
to gratify us, but in the end, all it does is it destroys us. It destroys our marriage, and it destroys our relationship with our kids, and it destroys our relationship with our friends and our families, and we throw it all away for a one-night stand because, again, we believe the lie that she tells us. And I'll tell you what, that adulterous woman could care less. She could care less. But I'll tell you what, praise be to God, is it not? That God says, if you want to avoid that, you come find me and I'll help you get away from that. I'll keep her at bay. I'll give you the 10-foot pole, the 100-foot pole, whatever you need. I will shield you from this adulterous woman. Now, I think that part about the adulterous woman goes much deeper. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I I certainly believe that Solomon is talking here in in, in a physical sense that, again, he can protect us from that. But I, I want us to realize something deeper on a more spiritual level about this idea of the adulterous woman. You know, when we talk about marriage in the Christian faith, there's a reason why it's held in such regard, right? You know, the world has cast it aside. You know, you know, we went from like never getting divorced to like divorce is okay uh, to eventually now the point like why even get married anymore, right? Why, why even have a man and a woman together anymore? That's how far we've deviated from, from the will and the desire of God, right? And so marriage in the Christian faith that was still held strong. This is something, this is a sacred covenant that we have. And our marriage is something much deeper than just between me and my wife. It's a picture of our relationship with Christ. And let me show you this in Ephesians chapter 5. This is verses 25 to 32. It says, Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, and after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Our marriage is a picture between Jesus and the church. That's why marriage is so important in the Christian faith, and that marriage is lived out the way that God designed it, because it's reflective of our relationship with Jesus. We are considered the bride of Christ. And so if we are considered the bride, we are in a sacred union, a sacred covenant, are we not? But what happens when we break that covenant? We are just like the woman in this passage, are we not? We become the adulterous woman. Because what happens is we go chasing after some other idol in life. We go chasing after wealth or fame or money, popularity. That again, we're hearing the seductive power of the world calling us away from something else. And there are dire consequences for that. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, they're they're getting ready to enter the promised land. And so Moses here is doing a a recap. He says, "Let let me go through our history again. Okay? 
Let me go through our history again. Let me go through the walls again. And, and, and let me just remind you about what's going to happen when you go into the promised land. And, and he's saying, don't make these mistakes again. And then in chapter 28, he, he's, he's got the first 14 verses. He lines up and he says, here are all the blessings if you obey me. Here are all the blessings if you obey me. And then he spends the next 53 verses talking about what happens if you disobey and the curses come. 14 verses on obedience and blessing, 53 verses on disobedience and cursing, right? God's making it abundantly clear. You walk away from me. You go chasing after idols. It is not going to go well for you. I just want you to be absolutely clear. Do you understand Israelites? Yes, we do. Are you sure? Yes, we do. I don't think you do. I said it 53 times. Okay, we got it, God. And then in chapter 30, here's what he says. I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing, the Jordan, to enter and possess. Remember what I said, God is faithful and God keeps his promise. Go to this woman, I will destroy you. Listen to how the prophets speak about what happens. Because what do the Israelites do? Well, they go and they disobey. Okay? They, yeah, God, yeah, God, yeah, God. And then God's like, okay, go ahead. And they're like, yep, disobedience, let's go find the idols. Okay, that's what they go chasing after. Ezekiel 16 he says this, he says, you adulterous wife, you prefer strangers to your own husbands. Again, referring to these idols. Hosea 4.12, my people consult a wooden idol and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray and they are unfaithful to their God. And then in Jeremiah 3, have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on a hill, on a high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all of this, she would return to me, but she did not. Again, we're talking about the Israelites and her unfaithful sister Judah, who saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all of her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear, and she went out and committed adultery. Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. And in spite of all of this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all of her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. Okay, so your, your disobedience is the same thing that the Israelites did, and that is what makes us like this adulterous woman. Now let me bring it back to Proverbs chapter 2, because if you're kind of like, where, where is he going with this? Let's go back to the last part of Proverbs chapter 2 here. Here's what it says in, in, in the last three verses. Verse 20. Thus, right, so if I seek wisdom, and then I find God, God gives me that wisdom in the personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and then I get to reap all of the blessings. And as a result, thus, as a result of all of this, you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked, but the wicked, will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. All right, so, so Solomon's wrapping this part up. Right? You walk in God's wisdom, you get to find the good and righteous path, 
and you get to be upright and you get to be blameless. But if you don't, if you don't and are disobedient, you will not remain here anymore. And let me give you a picture of this through Scripture. When Adam and Eve sinned and they were disobedient, what did God do? He cast them out of the garden, right? You don't get to be here anymore. And when the Israelites were unfaithful to God, what did God say? You're going to be exiled to the Assyrians and to the Babylonians. You're not going to to stay here in Israel anymore. I'm casting you out of my presence. And what has God said for all of mankind and for today? He says, listen, if you're going to walk away with me, that's your choice. I don't want that. But there's the reality of a fiery furnace of hell. That is where you will spend the rest of your life. Right? There are consequences for our disobedience. There are consequences for not seeking out God's wisdom. But I don't want to be gloom and doom here. That's not my intention. Because yes, God is righteous and God is just. And God will hold us accountable to the things that we do. But we have to remember there's a whole other part of God that I talked about in the very beginning, right? He's kind and he's loving and he's faithful and he's gracious and he cares so deeply about us more than anything that we could ever imagine. And so here's the beauty in all of this. When God said to Adam and Eve, you're out of the garden, what did he also promise? He said, I promise you an offspring that will crush the head of the serpent. And when he cast out his people to the Babylonians and the Assyrians, He said to them, he said, I promise you, I will save a remnant and I will bring you back. And what has God said to us? He said, I don't want you eternally separate from me. I don't want that. So what I'm doing is I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ. That if you, if you seek him and you understand the sinfulness of your ways and understand the perfection of the human life of Jesus Christ, that he to embrace that. God says, you will be with me forever in paradise. You know, my my favorite passage in scripture is where the two criminals are hanging on that cross. And I love that. I love that. Because here two guys are sitting there, right? And one looks at Jesus and is like, if you're God, save yourself. And he's chastising Jesus. And here is the other criminal who goes, don't you get it? We deserve what we get. We deserve to be on this cross. This man hasn't done anything wrong. And he turns to Jesus because he sought wisdom. And what did he say? Jesus, remember me. And how does he respond? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Did this man deserve the grace and the mercy of Jesus? Absolutely not. And in his final moments, he found true wisdom. And God said, there I am. You are with me forever. And so just to to finish this all off then, I leave you with this. If you, right? If you, what are you going to do with that? We can show up to church on a Sunday morning and we can seek God, but what are you doing for the rest of the six days a week? Are you trying to navigate your own minefield? Are you trying to find wisdom in the internet? Are you trying to find wisdom uh, you know, in, in social media? Are you trying to find it in television, all the politicians, maybe your family, your, your friends? Is that, is that where you're going to look for wisdom? Maybe you're not even going to care about wisdom and you're just going to go enjoy your life. But we have to ask ourselves, if you, if I what? If I go and I seek out God, I will find wisdom and it will be pleasant and a blessing to my soul. And remember what we started with too in this. 
This is a father speaking to his son. This is our heavenly father speaking impassionately and pleading to us. Seek me out for I am good. And I want to give you the riches of this world because I love you. Let's pray. God, wisdom is said to be all around us. We live in a day and age where wisdom is whatever you want it to be, which is the furthest thing from the truth. Because, Lord, we know that wisdom is not what we decide. Wisdom is not what we think or feel or what I experience. But wisdom is found in you, and it's found in your scriptures. Lord, we praise you, we glorify you, that you are freely willing to give it to us, that you are not withholding it from us. God, you desire to have us in a relationship with you. And I pray that as we walk, that just that little bit, and we would remember, Lord, that if we seek you, Lord, we will be blessed and be loved by you. Amen.